welcome back to the Mean Green Money Podcast. My name is Destiny and I will be your host. And my name is Kaylee and I'm our producer. And we are back with another episode of the Mean Green Money Podcast. Today will be the first episode to our series, Money Track, where we will discuss taboo questions about each department regarding getting you to that zero balance with UNT. On this episode, we will be getting real about financial aid and scholarships with our wonderful guest, Ms. Abby Crowwalker. And I will go ahead and let her explain herself and her department. Thank you. I'm excited to be a part of this kind of collaborative effort. Uh, again, my name is Abby Crow Walker, and I'm an assistant director for our student financial aid and scholarships department. I've been with UNT Financial Aid for 14 years. Uh, we could spend a whole separate episode on the functions of the financial aid and scholarships department, but I'll try to keep it brief. Our department and our staff are responsible for seeing our students through every step of the financial aid process from prospective students just starting to gather information to doing that first scholarship application in FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid, and all the way to ensuring our students have the funding they need to graduate in a timely manner. And you know the financial aid process can have a reputation of being really frustrating and complicated, and while it can definitely be those things, it is the goal of our team to remove some of those stressors by being available to answer questions and educate where we can. And just remember behind every interaction with student financial aid and scholarships, whether it's in person, on the phone, or over email, there's a human being on the other side whose goal it is to see you succeed. Thank you for introducing yourself, Abby. We are so happy to have you on the podcast for this episode. Um, so let's just jump into the first question of the day, which is, do you feel college is affordable without financial aid? So I think we need to first discuss the cost associated with going to college. Some families only look at the cost of taking classes or just the tuition cost, mm -hmm. while others will be looking at the bigger picture. So our office, we're required to look at that bigger picture because we're funding educational expenses. So before we make any awards to students, we come up with a budget or like an estimated cost of attendance. This figure helps us determine the total amount of aid a student can receive. And the costs that we build into that are, of course, tuition and fees, uh, room and board. We consider whether you're off campus or on campus, living expenses associated with that, books, supplies, transportation, and personal expenses. So if you ask if college is affordable without financial aid, I would have to say that most families do have to utilize some type of financial aid to cover all education-related costs. But like many things with financial aid, it can really depend on the individual circumstances. Mm -hmm. So with that, I would definitely um, say for like any of the students listening to make sure that you are looking at the bigger picture and not just the classes you're taking, but the actual experience. So your housing, your meal plan, those extra fees that you're going to pay um, as far as like the rec and things of that nature. Absolutely. So the next question we have for you is um, how feasible do you believe is paying for college for international students? So this can be a little more challenging given that international students can't apply for uh, federal student aid through the FAFSA. Mm -hmm. They're not eligible for that, that kind of aid. However, um, we see that our international student population is pretty well informed when it comes to the cost associated with studying abroad. Um, international students are afforded the opportunity to apply for UNT scholarships. Um, there are international student loans, and they can also utilize the installment plan and short-term loan options offered through Student Financial Services, which is our billing department. Um, international students who are awarded UNT competitive scholarships, and those often come through their department of study, um, they can, as long as that scholarship is in the amount of $1,000 or more, they can qualify for a waiver, which drastically reduces uh, the cost of their tuition. And other international students uh, have the eligibility to work and utilize their earnings to offset college expenses. Okay, 
Um, I know that was a big question just because I know in our office we come encounter with a lot of international students and I know that's one big concern for them is making sure that they can pay that balance off because for a lot of them that is one of their main things being here is you know finishing off college so I know that was a big um, answer for them. Um, so the next question we have for you are what types of financial aid are available and are student loans considered financial aid if they have to be paid back? So we administer three types of financial aid. There's grants, college work study, and loans. Uh, there are, of course, also scholarships, uh, but they should really be thought of more like an, a financial award, like mm -hmm. a prize, and then that's separate from financial aid. So when we talk about financial aid specifically, it'll be grants, work study, and loans. Um, just to break those down just a little bit more. Grants are free money. They don't have to be repaid. Um, they are almost always based on a student's financial aid, financial need, which is determined from filling out the FAFSA. Um, these funds are limited and they are not guaranteed year to year. So that's really important to know for grants. Work study uh, is also based on financial need, but it gives students the opportunity to work on campus and the funds come to the student in form of a paycheck. Uh, and lastly, loans are considered financial aid, even though you have to repay them. Um, student loans, uh, the federal student loans specifically, um, we consider aid just because they offer a lot more benefits, uh, such as lower interest rates, there's no credit check, there's more flexibility with repayment compared to other lending options. So yes, they're still considered aid, even though they are things you have to repay. Okay, and then, so I know a lot of the time when students come to us for like interest counseling and things of that nature, we kind of tell them the order of which they should try to like accept if they could. So you, it usually goes scholarships, grants, loans, private loans. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, scholarships, grants, uh, work study, if that's mm -hmm. something you want, um, and then loans. Um, we'll talk about those a little more, the breakdown of those. But yeah, uh, always take that federal aid first. It's going to have the most benefit. And then um, I know for a lot of students um, that I've come in contact with, some of them have problems with their parents sending in their information for them to you know, apply for FAFSA and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So um, what happens then if their parents won't provide their information for their FAFSA? Okay, I'm going to be a little long-winded <laughs> with this one because we have to kind of talk about the dependency question because uh -huh. um, that's, gonna, that's the, the big kicker here. So this is specifically for dependent students, and there can be a lot of confusion around why somebody's considered dependent. Mm -hmm. So I want to clear that up. So if you are an undergraduate student, you're working on your bachelor's degree, you're under 24 years old, and you are unmarried, you will almost always be classified as a dependent student and be required to submit parental information. And I say almost always because there are some additional dependency questions on the FAFSA, but um, they're very rare circumstances. So those are the really big three. So even if you support yourself and you file your own taxes, um, if you are undergraduate, under 24, and unmarried, you will be considered dependent for the FAFSA. So you will be asked for parental information. Um, but there are instances where parents refuse to provide their information. They're uncomfortable doing so. Um, our office gets that. We know that. And the U.S. Department of Education recognizes this as well. So if a parent simply refuses to provide information, students do have the option of completing their FAFSA with no parental information. Ooh. However, <laughs> they then will only have very limited eligibility. Uh, in the form of an unsubsidized student loan. Mm -hmm. The amount of that is small and limited, and of course that is a loan that is accruing interest. So you can do it without parental information, but it really limits what you're eligible for. Um, if a student has a documented situation of abuse, abandonment, or neglect, our office can review their situation to see if we can classify them as independent, mm -hmm. kind of bypassing that dependency uh, status 
uh, and bypassing the need for parental information. In these instances, a student would be considered for all the normal aid. Um, but that process is through our office, um, and we know that's delicate. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just handled through through counselors in our office if that's a situation. But again, that does have to be documented instances. So um, I know in answering that question, you kind of spoke on unsubsidized loans and subsidized loans. I know a lot of the time when students come into our office and speak with us, um, they're not really they don't really understand the differences between unsubsidized, subsidized. Um, when the interest starts on e either mm -hmm. one of them, um, you know the qualification, things of that nature. So can you explain um, the difference between unsubsidized and subsidized loans? Absolutely. So um, your direct unsubsidized loans, um, again, this is a federal loan. Uh, they're available to undergraduates, uh, graduate students, or students seeking professional degrees. Um, you're not required to show financial need for that. So you could have zero financial need. You could make a million dollars a year and still get a federal unsubsidized loan. Um, financial needs not considered for that. Um, direct subsidized loans are only available to undergraduate students and it does require um, that financial need is there and again financial need is determined through the answers you put on your FAFSA. The U.S. Department of Education, this is the on the subsidized loan while you're in school at least half time. Um, and for the first six months after you leave school, which is referred to as your grace period, and any period of deferment when you're postponing the payment of your loans. So if you have both an unsubsidized and a subsidized loan offered to you on your uh, award letter, go subsidize first. It's always the best. It's still accruing interest, uh, just like an unsubsidized loan, but the U.S. Department of Education is picking that tab up for you. So when you get out of school, um, you only pay the actual amount of the loan you took out up to that point. Okay, and then um, I did want to kind of throw in, I know some students might not understand what halftime is. So halftime enrollment, that would be um, six hours, six to nine? Yes, at least six hours for undergraduate students. I have a question. Yes. This might throw it off, but if you're doing like a like second undergraduate degree, would you still qualify for a sub or would you be considered? Yes, so long as you are not a graduate student. Okay. Um, or if you're getting if that second, uh, sometimes people say second bachelor's, but they're really going for a certificate, but still undergraduate study, a certificate would not be eligible for, for subsidized. Okay, cool. So um, I know another type of loan that's usually offered to a lot of students is the Parent PLUS loan. Mm -hmm. um, so can you explain how that works and then what happens if the parents do apply and they're not, um, they're not approved? Absolutely. So again, a PLUS loan is a, a parent loan and it is for dependent students specifically. Um, so what will happen is a dependent student will see a parent loan offer on their award letter. Um, the offer is kind of like a placeholder. It just says this is an option available. Um, the amount is usually quite large and kind of a weird number. Um, usually what that number is doing is filling out the that estimated cost of attendance we talked about earlier. Uh, it's just filling in any gaps um, that the rest of the financial aid package didn't cover. So it's usually a very large number of parents do not have to accept that full amount if they don't want to. Um, but if they accept the offer, what will happen is one of the parents will complete an online loan application. Uh, the U.S. Department of Education will be the lender, and so they perform a credit check um, at the time the application is completed. Uh, the parent will know right away whether it's been approved or denied uh, based on credit. 
UNT will receive that decision shortly after that. If the loan is approved, then the student will see that loan posted on their account for the amount that it's approved for. Uh, but parents whose loans aren't approved are given a few options. They can appeal the credit decision with the U.S. Department of Education. That's an online process as well. Uh, they can apply again with a cosigner or an endorser, or they can have the other parent apply if that parent might have a better chance of getting approved. Um, but the family can also decide they don't want to pursue that loan any further, and at that point, if the PLUS loan is denied, um, they can have UNT offer the student additional unsubsidized loan. Uh, but that unsubsidized loan will be smaller than the parent <laughs> loan offered because there are limits on how much you can get um, annually for student loans. That's interesting. I definitely did not know that if one parent is denied, then other parent can mm -hmm. go back and apply um, if you feel like their chance will be better. I also didn't know that they can ask UNT to offer them another um, loan. So I know that's probably you know fresh new information for our listeners as well. Just because I know me working here, I did not know that. So moving over to um, scholarships and grants, um, this was one of um, a question, I think, from one of our uh, followers on Instagram. Okay. Um, they asked, if they're admitted into UNT after the general scholarship due date, um, is there still free money available for them? So the scholarship application doesn't technically have a due date. Mm -hmm. um, it opens each fall, closes at the end of June. Um, the way it's set up is there are many scholarship opportunities within the general scholarship application and each has its own deadline. So even if you feel like you're late to the game, get on there, fill that out. You just really never know. Early is always better, of course. Um, and then there are also grants. There are grants available, which is free money. Um, again, though, you do have to fill out the FAFSA, uh, but the advice is the same for trying to get any free money, and that is apply early and check your communications often. We do see students miss out on uh, scholarship and grant opportunities because they didn't realize they had something on their to-do list or they had an email from our office um, and we needed some supplemental information. Um, so for any free money, um, whether it is scholarships or financial aid, apply early. Even if you're not sure where you're going or what your plans are, apply early and check those communications as frequently as you can. Yes, that's great. I would definitely want to emphasize for our listeners to, you know, check those communications and make sure your to-dos are clear um, because it's always one thing that can block a student from, you know, getting that free money or stop them in the process of getting that free money. So um, if anyone is listening or when you are listening, just uh, make sure that you are clearing those to-do lists. That is one big thing. Um, so going back to international students, um, are there more scholarships for international students at UNT apart from just the excellence? Um, yes, but it does require a bit of legwork. Um, so for excellence, any new newly admitted students, uh, and, and this includes international students, uh, they compete for UNT-funded scholarships based on their academic and program information uh, provided on their admissions application. Um, they also have the opportunity to do the general scholarship application. Um, because there are different scholarship opportunities on there, there may be some that are not available to international, but there are certainly many that are. Um, and there are also opportunities through your Department of Study and external sources as well, so we highly encourage students to inquire about that each year, if not each term. Um, sometimes you'll see students moving around and they'll drop scholarships, so things may become available mid-year, especially um, through departments of study. Um, so it does require a bit of legwork, but there are absolutely any, any scholarship opportunity that our general population is applying for, our international students should be seeking out as well. Um, and 
all students should be following the same advice regarding scholarships. That's just apply and apply early. Um, scholarship eligibility and offers can never be guaranteed. Um, but we can guarantee if you don't apply, you can't compete for them. So <laughs> Most definitely. I have a, a quandary for you. Yeah. Do you find that if a scholarship has an essay requirement attached, do you find that there are lower amounts of people applying for them? I do not have data on that. Oh. I do not have data on that. I can find out for you, though. Uh, I was just wondering because <laughs> I feel like um, at least when I see the essay, I'm like, it's like oh. a barrier. Yeah, it's like a. Mm -hmm. oh, and I think that's by design, of course. Yeah. But I don't. I don't know what the data is on that. Interesting. So, I had a follow-up question, but I can't even remember what it was now. Um, so, going on to you know other questions that we get asked. One big thing I know here at the Student Life Management Center is prior turn balances. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, we do have a program, a loan program that assists students with those prior turn balances, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the time when we come in contact with those students or have those one-on-ones, a lot of them don't understand why financial aid can't pay backwards. Um, why their financial aid for next semester can't go back and pay off last semester and then roll over and pay the current semester. Yeah. So can you kind of explain why financial aid can't pay backwards? Yeah, so this is frustrating for our office as well, but a thing to understand about financial aid is we are kind of governed by three different bodies, the federal government, our state government, and the institution. So we have a lot of rules um, that we have to follow and sometimes they feel like they are in the student's way. Um, they're there for us to be good stewards of the funds at the end of the day, but it can be very frustrating. So if we talk about an academic year, there's it starts in the fall, so you have your fall and your spring. Um, and we award financial aid based on that academic year. Um, and so there is a federal regulation, a rule put forth by the U.S. Department of Education that says funds can only be used to pay for the, the cost for the period which those funds are provided. So a school cannot provide funds to cover more than $200 of prior year cha uh, charges. So what we'll see a lot is a student may have spring 2021 charges for this term that just passed. They have a lot of money coming up for fall 2021 we can't disperse that fall money until that spring balance uh, from last year is paid down under $200, um, which I understand is very frustrating, but it is just a federal regulation that we have. Um, within the, the actual year, our student loans are limited to the term which they were awarded. There is a little flexibility with grant funds within the, the aid year, so we could pay a spring, we could pay a fall charge off with spring money. Mm -hmm. um, but that, again, that has to be within the same academic year, within that same fall spring. Um, so I don't know if that's that's clear. Students are always encouraged like to come and just check their individual situation uh, with us, but for the most part, it is a federal federal guideline that's that's driving that. That kind of explains it, kind of clears it up a little more. Um, I know it can be very complicated for a lot of students. I know when I first started learning about it, it was very a very complicated mm -hmm. idea to kind of grasp my mind around about how those rules and those regulations work. Um, but I know one big thing is, that I took from what you said is um, kind of that the funds have to be still in the same academic year. Yeah. Um, so I know that's one big thing that will probably help a lot of students kind of understand the process and how that works on the opposite side of not just what they're seeing, but what we can do. Yeah. Um, so I know another thing that we kind of 
kind of get asked about a lot um, is SAP appeals. So the Satisfactory Academic Progress Appeals. Um, what circumstances constitute a SAP appeal? And then can you kind of explain the process of how that goes? Absolutely. So um, students not meeting SAP um, can access an appeal from our website. They're always encouraged to appeal. Um, the thing to know is your, your appeal has to be for a term where you had non-passing grades earned. Um, even if it was before you were at UNT, if you find yourself at UNT all of a sudden and you're, we're telling you you don't meet SAP, you can still appeal. Um, so you complete the SAP appeal form, you provide a, a personal statement, and then you have to provide supporting documentation um, on any mitigating circumstances that impacted your success. Um, these can, things can be a student was ill, they were a caretaker for somebody, there was a death in the family. The list really can go on and on. It's very individual. Uh, and we do have staff members um, who are dedicated specifically to SAP. Um, so if you start the process but you get stuck on what kind of documentation may be appropriate or you're not sure what, if your circumstance is appropriate, please come talk to our office. We, can, we, we, we want to push that appeal through. We, really, we want to get as many people uh, approved for appeal, so we will work with you if you have to visit us 10 times. That's what we'll do. We want you to, to be able to see that through. So, but the big things are, are usually illness or deaths in the family, um, mental health, run, it's just anything, runs the gamut of things you can appeal for. Um, the important thing to remember is that the timeline's important for what you're submitting documentation for. If you had a very successful fall term, um, but you're appealing based on a death of a family member the summer prior to that, that you were successful in fall, so we can't approve, but you know, it, mm -hmm. it, your, your appeal has to line up with the term that you were not having successful grades. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, that makes more sense, especially um, being someone that I've never like had to complete one. Yeah. It's kind of hard to explain to students um, what that process looks like and what kind of constitutes a SAP appeal and how that's going to go. And I know a lot of students, um, when it comes to things like that, it's a more sensitive topic, so they're kind of more um, closed off with coming and being you know, forthcoming about what was going on and why those grades looked the way that they did. Yeah. So I'm glad they can get a little bit more insight on the other side of it again. Yeah. So one of the last questions I have for you is, um, how do I complete verification if my parents cannot provide their tax returns? Okay, so I'm going to answer this by um, talking about verif verification for a moment. Um, it is kind of a random selection process, um, and we can't always tell the reason why a student selected for verification, but once the U.S. Department of Education says the student has to do verification, we are obligated to follow through on it. Um, so if selected, um, individuals that filed U.S. tax uh, income taxes are required to submit either a signed copy of their 1040 or their tax return transcript, which they can get from the IRS. If a parent is, if a student or a parent is a non-tax filer or foreign tax filer, income information is still required. Um, that can be copies of W-2s or an IRS wage and income statement. Um, students or parents that have difficulty getting the required documents um, or students that are having um, a situation where their parents are withholding those documents um, really should probably just come talk to our office so we can kind of navigate what their individual situation is. Um, if a, a parent is withholding though and they, they just can't get that information, we can't complete verification um, and we might end up circling back to that option of completing FAFSA without parental information. Um, so it's important that parents understand 
the limitations they're putting on what, what their students can access um, by not providing that information. But you really should come talk to our office uh, if you're in that situation so we can kind of guide your individual circumstance. So just one like small last question yeah. uh, to kind of go with that. If a student is in any of these circumstances that we talked about today and they do need to come sit down and talk to financial aid, what do you feel like would be the best means for them to come talk? Like should they call? Should they send an email? Should they come in person? It really depends on your comfort level. Our counter staff, our phone staff, um, anybody answering emails, these are full-time, fully trained staff members. Uh, we do not put work-study students on the phones or like they're not answering those kinds of questions and dealing with your personal information. So it really just depends on what's comfortable for you. Um, for me, I like email because I like to have that kind of written record of things. It gives me an opportunity to answer questions one by one. You don't get really lost in, in conversation. But for others, um, if you want to come by, we can find private spaces to speak with you. It also gives you the opportunity if our front counter staff can't fully answer your question. Um, there are other staff members in the office that might be more seasoned or well-versed on, on more nuanced circumstances. Um, but I should hope everybody feels confident calling or emailing or coming in, whatever is your comfort level, because we do have well-trained staff. Um, they're all full-time staff members. Well, that is all the questions that um, we have on our end. Abby, thank you again for guest starting on our podcast. We are so happy you were able to take the time out of your day to sit down and speak with us about these topics. Um, I know that was a lot. <laughs> and I really hope those listening learned something new today. Um, more detailed information can always be found on our website, which is financialaid.unt.edu, and on the U.S. Department of Education website, which is studentaid.gov. And just remember, the Student Financial Aid Scholarship Office is full of knowledgeable staff, and we really want to and are ready to help. Well, everyone, um, for me and Kaylee, that is all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for listening in. Um, if you have any questions you want to be asked on the next episode of Money Track, make sure you DM our Instagram page at UNT underscore money and follow us on all of our other social medias. Um, for now, I will leave you with this. Remember to be real and continue to enjoy your college experience.